Welcome to the Teaching Behavior Together podcast, where I provide you with actionable steps for making your classroom management plan effective by incorporating behavioral and social-emotional learning activities into your daily teaching. Hi, I'm Maria, and I have 10 years experience in the field of behavior analysis. In each episode, I will be providing you with effective and evidence-based strategies you can use to create a classroom environment you want to go to each morning. No longer will you be driving home in tears over the overwhelming feeling of trying to manage student behaviors. So sit back, listen up, and start seeing success. Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Teaching Behavior Together podcast. Today we're going to be talking all about strategies for disruptive behaviors in your classroom. So let's just get right into it. First, let's start off by defining what I mean by disruptive behavior. In most instances, a disruptive behavior will be defined as anything that interrupts or takes away from the learning of others. Now, this can take many different forms, and I'm sure you're picturing some different behaviors that have occurred in your classroom that were disruptive to the learning environment. Even though these behaviors can take many different forms, there are some strategies that we can put in place to help increase behaviors we want to see instead of those disruptive behaviors. So let's just talk about some different strategies. The first strategy that I typically recommend would be having a conversation with a student about the behavior. During the conversation, I would ask the student about the behavior they are engaging in and let them know how that behavior affects others in the classroom. Now, I don't mean in any way that you should talk to the student and blame them for their behavior or for how it affects others, but having a conversation with a student helps you build rapport and it can help build perspective-taking skills of the student. Believe it or not, some students might not realize that their behavior affects others or that it's disruptive in the first place. A conversation and a collaborative plan can go a really long way in the classroom. I'll probably sit down with a student and just talk about the behavior in general and just see their perspective of if they feel like they're engaging in that behavior, if they feel like it's disruptive to others, if they feel like it's disruptive to themselves, or if they feel like it's disruptive if another student were to engage in that behavior. You can get a lot of information just by gauging the perspective of the student on the behavior, just in general in a very calm conversation with the student and then you might just bring up that you notice that sometimes they engage in that behavior and you notice that it's a little bit disruptive to everyone else in the classroom and then come up with a plan together on how we can either engage in a different behavior or something else that the student can do so it's not as disruptive to the learning environment. Again, I would come at this at a very calm, non-confrontational, not, you know, your behavior is so disruptive and it's disrupting everyone else, but just come at it from a place of this student might not necessarily realize that they're, be- that they're even one engaging in that behavior, too, that it's disruptive to other students. So having this nice, calm conversation, having a collaborative plan that you can make with the student will go a really long way, one with building rapport and then also building those perspective-taking skills of that student and then help increase some of those behaviors in your classroom that are less disruptive. This happens more often than you think when I talk to students about their behavior or behavior in the context of the classroom. They don't even realize that it's disruptive. They don't even realize necessarily that they're engaging it one as often or as long as that they're engaging in it. So again, a conversation just goes a really long way. This is something that I would typically start with right off the bat if you do find that a student's behavior is somewhat disruptive to your learning environment and then move on to other strategies as needed. Another strategy would be to give a student like a piece of paper, a dry erase board, a post-it, anything that they can write on during class. So whenever they have a thought that that comes to them during class or during a lesson, they can write it on whatever you gave them to write on and then give them some time to share those thoughts with either you or with a peer later. 
And this strategy is really for those disruptive behaviors that take the form of like shouting out or off topic comments or just like random comments during your whole group lesson. I'm sure you can think of these situations where you're giving a lesson and there's commenting happening or questions being asked that really have nothing to do with the topic that you're talking about or they're just um they're disruptive to your lesson as a whole, right? So I found this really successful if you give the student just something to write on or put their thoughts on so that they don't lose those thoughts and they have somewhere to get those thoughts out and then either check in with the student at the end or ask this class as a whole, does anyone have anything else they wanna add to this conversation? Or if it's like really off topic things, the student will have them written down for later if they wanna talk to you about it or talk to a peer about it or something along those lines just so that they feel like their voice is being heard because you are listening to their voice. You're just not listening to it right in the middle of your lesson about a completely different topic. We all know that our students love to be heard and we love to hear their voices and what they're thinking about and the topics that they want to talk about. It's just not necessarily uh, something that we want to hear right in the middle of our lesson that's about a completely different topic. And we can also use this strategy to help teach some of the like impulse control with some of these behaviors of like self-monitoring too. Like, is this something that's relevant to the topic we're talking about or is this something that I can save for later when we're talking about something else or there's choice time or something like that. So this strategy helps build that skill a little bit and also helps your lesson go a little smoother um, during the day. Another great strategy that I typically recommend is proximity for disruptive behavior. This is a great strategy for disruptive behavior. When you're using proximity, you're placing yourself close to the point of the disruption, okay? So think about if you're in an all-staff meeting and there's two staff members that are just like chatting away and the principal kind of gets themselves closer and closer to those two staff members, probably the chatting is going to decrease. It has the exact same effect in our classrooms. So if a student is engaging in some disruptive behavior, and this would be uh, disruptive behavior that occurs on like a continual basis, right? So again, they're turning and talking to their peer on a consistent basis. You might want to just move yourself a little bit closer to that point of disruption and that behavior will likely decrease. Most of our students know the expectations. You might even take that opportunity to prompt them really quietly. The closer you are to students, the easier it is for you to use a really discreet prompt None of our students want to be called out, no matter what their age is, prompting, a, providing a verbal prompt where you're calling a student out by saying their name and asking them to stop engaging in a behavior can really be embarrassing for that student and it might turn into like some sort of power struggle or some sort of situation where they increase that behavior or, you know, whatever it might be. So using proximity is a great strategy because it also allows you to provide those really discreet prompts to either redirect their behavior, provide uh, the expectation again. But most of the time, if our students really know our expectations and they know during a whole group lesson, we're not necessarily supposed to be talking to our peer. So the closer that you move to them, those behaviors will likely decrease and the behaviors that you want to see will likely increase. Proximity is a great tool to be using in your classroom. This can really help with behaviors like cell phone usage or if students are on devices and they're on different tabs or something like that. The closer you are, if you constantly are, are walking through the room, the likelihood that those behaviors will decrease and the behaviors that you want to see will really increase. So just keep that in mind for other behaviors as well. Another great strategy would be scheduled breaks. Now, scheduled breaks can be really, really helpful when they're predictable and structured and you have parameters around what breaks look like and how students take breaks so that we allow students to regulate themselves in a way that is productive for them, but also not necessarily disruptive to our learning environment. 
Again, when you're doing different breaks or you're scheduling breaks, you want them to be really predictable and you want your students to know what they're able to do during a break, how they take a break, how they come back from taking a break, all of those things. You can teach all of that. I believe I have an episode on teaching students how to take a break on this podcast, so go check that out as well if you want some guidelines on how to put those parameters in place. Okay, we are moving right along to our very next strategy, and we already kind of talked about prompting, but whenever you can, I would avoid a verbal prompt. I would try as hard as you can to use visual prompts or gestural prompts, and here's why. A lot of times verbal prompts open up the opportunity for a verbal response back. So if you uh, prompt a student verbally to engage in a behavior or to stop engaging in a behavior, that opens up the opportunity for them to make a comment back to you. And sometimes that can lead to a power struggle, right? We already kind of talked about that when we use a verbal prompt and we're quote unquote calling a student out in the middle of class, which is often how they perceive it. If you talk to students who feel like quote unquote, they've been called out in your classroom, that can be really detrimental to the relationship that you have with that student and also make them feel like they're doing something wrong or that there's something wrong with their behavior. And we don't want our students to feel like that. And with disruptive behaviors, again, a lot of times that verbal prompt just opens up the opportunity for them to use a verbal back and then it can sometimes create that power struggle. And we want to avoid that as much as possible. What I want you to do instead is use a gestural prompt or a visual prompt. And a gestural prompt can just be you going by and like putting your um, finger over your lips if it's, you know, the disruptive behavior is um, talking or something like that or or, um, they're being loud in some way in your classroom or you can go by their desk and just like tap on what they're supposed to be working on or point to the expectation in the classroom, something along those lines, just so that it's a visual prompt or gestural prompt that you're using so that our students can be really successful and kind of avoid those verbal prompts really all together as much as you can in your classroom for these disruptive behaviors. Now, there's always a time and a place for verbal prompts. I'm just saying in general in these situations, if you find that when you are giving verbal prompts that there's some of that back and forth that's not necessarily productive, then you might want to stick to visual or gestural prompts. I know you might be thinking at this point, what about the situations where it seems like the student is engaging in the behavior to cause a disruption on purpose? In these situations, I would first say that coming at it from the mindset that a student is engaging in the behavior on purpose might cloud our ability to provide strategies and supports for that student so that allows them to be as successful as possible. In these situations, I would assess lagging skills and determine where we can provide explicit instruction on replacement behaviors. You can also explore conducting a functional behavior assessment to determine the function of the behavior and teach a functionally alternative replacement behavior. I would also try and work on some of the mindset stuff of behavior in terms of a lot of our students are not engaging in a behavior on purpose. They might not know a replacement behavior that they can be engaging in that would allow them to contact the same reinforcer or the same result that they're looking to contact. So if we can come at it from a mindset that there are lagging skills that are preventing our students from engaging in the behaviors that we want to see, then we can move into teaching those skills explicitly and teaching those replacement behaviors so that our students can be really successful. Teaching replacement behaviors is always a great strategy. Depending on the behavior, you can determine which behaviors you can teach that would decrease those disruptive behaviors. Say, for instance, you have a student who makes jokes or comments during your lessons. Sometimes this behavior is referred to as like being the class clown or something. This can be disruptive to a lesson, no doubt. That can be really disruptive. 
But in this situation, the student might be lagging some skills related to social skills or self-regulation that you can teach explicitly to allow them to contact that peer attention or, or teacher attention that they're seeking in your classroom in a more appropriate way that's less disruptive to your lesson as a whole. So these are all the strategies that I have for you on disruptive behaviors in the classroom. If you are looking for more strategies, I do have an entire behavior intervention guide that is completely free linked in the description of this podcast episode. You can go ahead and download that. It is full of antecedent behavior teaching and consequence strategies that are for many different behaviors in your classroom. Each of the strategies comes with a description as well as some examples across different grade levels so that you get an idea of how you can implement that in your classroom. If you have any other questions, please feel free to send me a message over on Instagram at teaching behavior together. I'd be happy to continue this conversation on with you and have a great rest of the day.